let's go ahead and kick it off with our interview with Michelle Warren. So if you'd like to introduce yourself a little bit. Well, thank you so much for having me. And my name is Michelle Ferrigno Warren. Gotcha. Leaving out my maiden name is telling a little bit less of my story. So, But I also know it's kind of a hard name to get over. So that's why I just say, you know what? Just call me Michelle. Thanks, Michelle. So, Michelle, you've got a hotly contested race ahead of you. Uh, you're campaigning against strong candidates like former Governor John Hickenlooper, former Speaker of the Colorado House of Representatives Andrew Romanoff, and current State Senator for District 33 Angela Williams. Uh, how do you plan to stand out in such a tight field? Well, it's really been an exciting three and a half months already. I launched my campaign in September, announced in August, and I have been traveling the state of Colorado ever since and often are able to be at forums with the my esteemed colleagues. One thing you need to know, it may be hotly contested, but we are all Democrats and we have one opponent and it is Republican Senator Cory Gardner. And so I just feel like it is a privilege to be with one of eight really strong candidates. We are learning from each other, we're making each other stronger, and I know that the Democratic Party will have the best nominee when it comes time, June 30th, to run against Senator Gardner. As far as me, you know, I am. I want to continue to try to stand out, not only as a strong Democrat who stands on platforms of immigration and energy with climate and equity issues, but also as one of the six women. I don't know if you know this, but we have never had a woman senator, a woman governor, or a woman mayor of um, Denver. And so Colorado has some opportunities to really do some work on women's equity. And so I'm grateful to be one of six people, six women running in this race. Thanks, Michelle. Awesome. So you've been quoted as saying that politics had become a game of winning and losing when politics is just a game of winning and losing. We all lose. We can't afford to lose anymore. So what did you mean by that? Yeah, I mean a lot by it. I'll try my best to put it in small bite sized pieces. But, you know, we are a republic and we are a democracy. Democracy says that we're by the people and for the people. And a republic shows that we want to elect representatives who are going to listen to people and represent them. What we continue to see all across the country and even in our state of Colorado that money dictates the, the power and the voice that is heard and that often people who are running for office and, and hold office do not take the time to really listen to constituents and without calling out people by name, I think that's just a temptation, especially when you're in Washington, D.C., you begin to lose touch with people. I've been working in politics for about 15 years. In the last 10 years, I've been working with the United States Congress. What started out working with the Colorado delegation grew to the Mountain West region, the Western states, and then across the nation, building coalitions of support around important issues like criminal justice reform, mass incarceration, many equity issues, including education and health care. The list could go on. And so both as a policy expert and a builder of coalitions, I have seen where often politicians have chosen the people who can donate to them to listen to, but not people who are just the regular person and needs the opportunity to be heard, especially with our system. You know, I think we see the, I don't think it, I see it in the numbers. We know that the, the wealth gap between rich and poor continues to grow. And I really, truly believe we need to adequately work to bring them together. And the only way we're going to do it is if we ensure that everybody has a seat at the table. 
Right on. So speaking of regular people, uh, I read in the Denver Post that you say you were born into a life of privilege and conservatism, but that changed after college, and we're a college radio station, so we think you know, college is a pretty important time in people's lives. Why do you think that that changed after college, and what role does higher education play in your vision of America? You know, I, I before the interview, I said my favorite age was like 20 to 23. I was like, give me a whole room full of 20 to 23-year-olds, and you can change the world. And it's not to say that before you're 20 or after 20, you can't have a huge impact, but I think that those are really formative years. You're trying to decide from your childhood and your upbringing what you're going to take into your adulthood. You know, many people in my um, community and myself um, had an opportunity to go to college. Not everybody has that opportunity. And when you're able to go to an institute of higher ed, you begin to see the world through a bigger lens. And the reason I think that especially that college, those college years up to about 25, while your brain is still forming, you are eager to learn a bigger sense of the world. And that was no different for me. You know, I began to learn a lot, um, not just in our history and sociology, but also just in people, meeting different people, getting out of my comfort zone. And, and it really enabled me to make distinct, different choices when I was 22 and I left. So touching more on your policies, you touched on it a little bit before, but immigration is one of your most talked about issues as a candidate. And as a senator, what would you do to change how we approach immigration? Yeah, so immigration is something that I've worked on since 2002. And I, back in 2002, if you had told me that, that I was going to be a national advocate on immigration or that I was going to be a public policy specialist, I would have laughed because I was not trying to do anything per se that was political. I happened to live in a community where 76% of my zip code is Latino. And so walking alongside my neighbors and friends, um, you know, we were just fighting for the access for ESL classes in 2002, and it just continued to morph into more access and opportunity. The reason I continue to bring this up in this race and want it to be brought up in every House race and Senate race is one, we have a failed immigration system. It has been failed for decades. We continue to perpetuate the American age-old adage of we want your work, we just don't want you. And we cannot continue to perpetuate that injustice anymore. Globally, we are seeing more people migrate now than we have in record numbers, there's never been a time where more people have been moving around the world in our history. And we have just hit about 71 million people displaced around the world, both as global citizens um, of the world, as the United States, as one of the superpowers, as, you know, just as a country. We need to do everything we can to address the system we do have control of within our borders. And we need to do as much as we can to work with our allies and partners around the world to help prevent people from having to be pushed and displaced. And so the reason I want to bring it up in this race is that we can't talk about it in any other race. County commissioner, governor, state senators, every other level of government, you can't fix the immigration system. That is only a job for Congress. And so with so much pressing both inside and outside our borders, with so much injustice around, you know, specifically we see people of color marginalized in the rise of white nationalism and the fear of immigrants and the malicious talk about immigrants, we need to be willing to, to fix the system. Right on. So uh, this is kind of a general question. What do you think is the biggest crisis in America right now? Is it immigration? Is it wealth inequality? What do you think is our biggest issue? You know, we do not just have one big issue. You know, <laughs> we aren't one issue people. We don't live one issue lives. So I can list a few. One, I think the climate crisis is is 
adequately named. And that's why that's number two. When I say energy, it's because we have to address our climate crisis. And we're not going to take it seriously unless we look at our energy needs and the sources and the solutions. But I also know that AI is a really big issue too. I mean, especially I would think young people in college, when you begin to look at all of the job loss that we could have in the next 50 years, it actually will have a bigger impact than we see even global migration and, you know, the climate crisis. So so that's why it's really hard. I, I think it, we have to have a three-pronged approach. We need to value people and their contribution in the world and what's happening to them. And that screams immigration to me. You know, we have to address our climate um, crisis globally and as the United States has been the biggest contributor to greenhouse gases historically um, we need to make up with there's reparations that the United States needs to to really work on and then also jobs I mean we can't talk about equity and affordable housing and health care and education etc if we don't really understand that we're getting ready to have a huge job transition because of AI and so I can't give you the luxury of, of one but I do think those are three really pressing issues and something you probably already know is that there was another Democratic primary last night. Um, if you feel comfortable talking about your opinion, who are some of your favorite candidates in the race right now? So this is really sad. When you're running for office, you literally are working every day, every night, all week. And I can't tell you, I've missed the last several debates. Since I've run, I've missed all the debates. And it breaks my heart. So I'm just reading <laughs> what everybody else is reading. What everyone's saying. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's so depressing. I know I was sitting there last night. I'm like, oh, the debate is going on. I can't even follow Twitter. So that that's a new thing for me is to, to not be able to participate in the same way as, as a citizen well, of the country. You're talking about a lot of similar stuff, you know. Exactly. Automation, I know that's mm -hmm. a big part of Andrew Yang's platform yeah. and a lot of people are campaigning on uh, immigration, income inequality, especially in the Democratic Party. That's a really major topic. So there's obviously personal things. I've worked with Senator Cory Booker's office, and so I have a natural affinity to somebody I've been following, you know, when he was running for mayor <laughs> back all those years ago. Of course, I have so much deep respect and a good working relationship with Senator Bennett and his office. But I think the top three candidates that I like, um, and some of it is personality, some of it is policy platforms, um, some of it is electability. I, I definitely like Pete Buttigieg. I think um, Amy Klobuchar is very, I think both of them are incredibly thoughtful. And I think we need thoughtful people because we have a very diverse country and we are not just representing one particular party or even one sect within a party, but we really need to be thoughtful people. And I think both of them bring that. And then of course, I've been a fan of Elizabeth Warren. Sometimes I feel like I'm the Elizabeth Warren in this race. She had never held elected office before she ran and won the US Senate seat in 2012 and was the first woman in her state to to be a female senator but she had been that policy expert and that builder of coalitions around the economy and you know the bursting of the housing bubble and so she decided that she was going to come out from behind the scenes and run and so i have a lot of affinity for her and plus i think she's just not only incredibly sharp but she has a lot of charisma and we need a leader with charisma so those are probably my three top choices but I will tell you, I'm really glad, just like in our race here in Colorado, we have a lot of good, strong candidates in the Democratic presidential um, race right now, and I'm eager to support the, the candidate that wins the primary. 
So it's interesting that you brought up Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren. Well, firstly, because you two have the same last name. I, I think know. that's a little funny. I know. I married into that name, but I, I think it should help me a little bit. Maybe it'll give me a bump in the yeah. polls, right? Yeah. <laughs> but also because she was the first woman elected in her state. That's and right. if you won this race, you would be the first woman that's elected right. in Colorado. So we here at KCC were kind of just wondering what message you had for other ambitious women out there. Well, I every young girl and every woman I, I run into, I tell them how we need to vote for women, not just because they're women, but because we just don't have the representation. And I truly believe we bring a unique perspective as women to everything that we do, and specifically Congress. Right now, we have 127 women in Congress. We're in the we're in the 99th year of women's suffrage. So next August 2020, when somebody's on the presidential ticket, on the Colorado Senate ticket, it is going to be the hundred anniversary of women's suffrage and so I think that's really incredibly significant but I'm also really sad that 127 of 535 seats are held by women and I've had to wrestle with it as a woman woman and that's one of the reasons I jumped in was I wasn't upset at men that we didn't have the seats I mean there's nothing holding us back legally you know we have access to everything that a man would have, but culturally, I think we as women hold ourselves back. And so what I would say to young women or old women alike is that it is a time for bold moves. We can't continue to wait on the sidelines and wait for permission to jump in. We have the legal right, we have the ambition, we have the smarts, and it is time for us to take the bull by the horns and do what we know and believe in our heart that we can do. And so that was something I had to answer, you know, for my own conscience. Like, you know what? I can't be upset at women who are not willing to envision themselves in federal office and take the bold steps needed if I wouldn't be willing to do it myself, especially since I've had over a decade of federal policy experience. I've, I'm the, I actually have more congressional experience than anyone in this race. And I'm traveled all over the country as a national speaker and advocate, and so I understand that lifestyle. And then also, um, you know, my kids are a little bit older. I think sometimes women are like, I don't want to miss anything, and I don't blame them. You know, but my youngest is a senior in high school, and, and so I've reared my family, and, and I admire women who have, you know, who are in Congress with children, but I think that that's something that holds us back. And so I needed to challenge myself. You know, I don't have the same barriers. I need to be willing to do that if I want to see the change and the representation in Congress. It's beautiful. And you just uh, inspire me for a, a great kind of unplanned ending question here. And we'll wrap up after this. But I'm, I'm curious, when and how did you realize you were going to run for Senate? Well, I don't think you roll out of bed one day and decide. <laughs> you know, I, it's been a process. I have been asked to run for office for over 15 years. Wow. And I've continued to say no at every level of government offered. And that is mostly because I wanted people who were who showed the majority of my community and not I said that 76% of my community was Latino and I wanted to be a fierce advocate of people from the community holding city council school board state assembly positions and so I've spent a lot of my own personal and social capital to try to ensure that that was the case um, and so, so that I had not been thinking. About two years ago, three years ago, people again started to ask me to run. I'm like, you know, I have more influence from the outside than I do on the inside. But, but then, you know, 2016 happened, and I am very disappointed in the direction of our country. I'm disappointed in the lack of leadership, and I don't believe that people are bringing the sense of morality and urgency that we need. I care about my kids and I care about all of, you know, our country's kids and our future and wanted to be that change. And so I think it's a time, it's such a serious time in our country. 
our democracy is fractured. That is just, there's no if and buts about it. And we need leaders who are able to build bridges to people who do not look like them and who do not think like them. And that has been my entire career. You know, you don't become a champion of immigration reform as a white privileged woman unless you've done some serious personal work and also community work and social work to really join people in their struggle and and walk towards a walk in solidarity towards a redemptive solution. And so I think that, that those are important elements. But but yeah, I think it's been a process of what I'm seeing in the country, knowing that I have things to offer as a coalition builder, and also wanting to see women represented in Congress that I finally decided, you know what, it's a time for bold moves. And I was more frustrated, honestly, on the sidelines than I was by jumping in and decided to do that. And I'm grateful. I'm glad. Good. Thanks, Michelle. All right. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we close it up? Like, how could we find you if we want to learn more? Yeah, I'm just really grateful for the opportunity to get my message out. So thanks for such great questions. And thanks for giving me a platform to speak. I, I would say, please follow me online. Um, I have a website, michelleforcolorado.com. I've got a Facebook and Twitter and would love to have you follow me. You can follow me on Twitter at MCF Warren and then um, on Facebook at Michelle Ferrigno. Warren for United States Senate. And that Frigno's hard, F-E-R-R-I-G-N-O. But wouldn't want to lose out my Italian-American heritage. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, thank you. Michelle Frigno Warren, everybody. Thank you so much for coming on yeah, our show. Thank you so much for having me.